Angels are amazing beings. And they are beings that fill us with wonder. But what we can confidently know about angels must be limited to God-inspired scriptures. It must not be based simply upon you know, understanding about what other people say, who they are or what they are. Particularly you think about when you have artistic renderings or you've got some fanciful or entertaining story that does not need to be your knowledge and understanding of who angels are and what angels do. But there are good angels who serve God, and there are bad angels that serve Satan. In Hebrews chapter 1, we are told through the Holy Spirit that angels are God's ministering spirits who do God's bidding, particularly in regarding salvation. That is, angels of God are carrying out God's word. But the God the Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, is better than even angels. Now, Hebrews 1 lists a number of reasons why Jesus is better than angels. One is Jesus is God. Jesus is deity. He is the Son of God. And that's one reason he's better than angels. We're also told in that first chapter that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. And that the angels are even commanded to worship Jesus. So that's another reason. You continue reading on in that chapter. See, it talks about how it is through the powerful word of Jesus Christ that all things are upheld. So Jesus is holding everything together. You think the world is falling apart. You think the universe is falling apart. God is the one who's holding it together. Humanity may be falling apart. Cultures may be deteriorating, but all things are upheld by Jesus Christ. And it is also Jesus Christ who has made purification for sins and therefore now sits at the Father's right hand. So clearly, Jesus is better than angels. But have you ever thought, have you ever considered how he is better or how he is greater than these angels that you read about in the Bible? There are some amazing stories some amazing depictions of the angelic host in scriptures. Now, have you ever gone back to consider, yes, Hebrews clearly teaches by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is better than all the angels. But what about these angels back in the Old Testament and elsewhere that we've got some amazing things that angels did? For example, Jesus is better than the cherubim of Eden. You know, God created mankind. God created man in their image, but man willfully corrupted himself when he selfishly transgressed his creator's will. And so you know the story of what occurs in the Garden of Eden. You know that well. 
Sin always has consequences. And we are still bearing the consequences of sin today. And so the separation from God because of sin led to the separation from the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, reading verses 22, 23, and 24, the inspired scripture state, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he, that is God, drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Eden was a place where Adam and Eve had God's perfect presence and God's perfect provision, and they threw that away out of selfishness and carelessness and pride. And so here we are. No man of his own strength, no man of his own intellect will find and partake of the tree of life. It is guarded by cherubim. These amazing heavenly spiritual beings that God placed there to make sure that man could not eat of the tree of life. And so Adam was sent out. And so access to the tree of life was taken away, barred from humanity. But Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the cherubim of Eden because Jesus, the Son of God, is the way to the tree of life. John 14, 6, Jesus stated very plainly, I am the way. He's it. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father. No man has access to God the Father in heaven, but by or through me. But then it is over in Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, as Jesus is addressing some of the churches of Asia Minor and instructing them and rebuking them and calling them to repentance, he says this in the second chapter, verse 7, to the church at Ephesus, and he says, To him who overcomes, I will grant. Who? I, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who described in chapter 1, he says, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The cherubim can't do that. They can't do that. The cherubim cannot grant you access to the tree of life. But Jesus can. Jesus can give access to those who overcome to eat of the tree of life. In Revelation chapter 22, 
as heaven is being described to us in imagery that we can understand and appreciate, to try to understand something that is heavenly, something that is spiritual, something that is eternal, something that we've never experienced before, and so yet through the power and the revelation by the Holy Spirit, we are given a picture of where God is and where the tree of life is. And so it says there in chapter 22, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruits every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The one who is the bread of life, the one who is the water of life, is also the one who has the authority and the power to grant you and grant me access to eat of the tree of life. Jesus is better than angels. He's better than those cherubim who guard that tree of life because he's going to give you access when you overcome. He's also better than the archangel Michael. Now, Michael is, is one of those chief angels among God's angelic host. His name means who is like God, and he is first introduced to us in Daniel chapter 10. It is there as God is revealing visions to Daniel that are revealed that Michael is one of Jehovah's angels who is contending on behalf of God's people against spiritual forces. Michael is doing battle. But interestingly, you have a different passage in the New Testament that gives us a little fact about Michael on a particular occasion. When you read in that small letter of Jude, that one chapter, maybe even a half a page in your Bible, that in Jude 9, we are told, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the, about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So in Jude 9, we are told about how Michael had this dispute with the devil, with Satan, over Moses' body. Now, if you recall, the great leader Moses, God's chosen leader, was not allowed to enter the promised land of Canaan because of his sin. But God was going to allow him to see all of the land before he died. So he takes him up you know, you know, to, you know, to, to the top of Pisgah, which is on Mount Nebo in Deuteronomy chapter 34. So Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land. Now, picture this. Here he's up on this, uh, on, on this mountaintop on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and he's going to see all the landscape. He's going to see all the land from the south to the north to the west. So he describes that to you. 
The Lord showed him all the land. Gilead as far as Dan, that's way in the north, and all Naphtali and all the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. And see, so he even saw the Mediterranean. Now, as you know, the area of Palestine is not huge, but you're seeing, uh, you're seeing some distance here. And he says, even into the plain in the valley of Jericho and the city of palm trees as far as Zor, way in the south. The Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. God knows Michael knows, and here we have Michael the archangel arguing about, you know, you know, the body of Jesus with Satan. I just find that very interesting. When you think about this, audience, what the Holy Spirit is giving us a glimpse at here, and that is he's allowing us to see what is going unseen to naked eyes. We're being told something that humanity cannot see with their eyes but it's really actually going on. The forces of evil and the forces of good and the spiritual realm that, it, that, are, that are in constant war against each other. And we are seeing here that Michael the archangel was there on behalf of Moses, God's servant, arguing over his body. And God's gonna, God buried him somewhere in a valley of Moab, and nobody knows where. But Jesus is better than Michael. Why is that? Because Jesus is going to raise up that body of Moses one day. Jesus knows where the body of Moses is. And Jesus is going to do that because Jesus has the keys of Hades and of death, as Revelation 1.18 clearly identifies for us. And so that great day when it comes, he will hear, he will hear the voice of Jesus Christ and he will live again. His spirit lived on, but his body was buried and it decayed. But he too, like all of humanity that die, all will hear the voice of the Son of God who is better than the angels. In verse 25 of John 5, Jesus himself said, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus is better than Michael. Because Jesus is gonna raise up Moses, give life to that body again. But also Jesus is better than that angel, that unnamed angel who killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Jehovah used the Assyrians, the Assyrian empire to chastise and punish the northern tribes of Israel because of their sins, because of their unfaithfulness. 
And we read that history and we learn that there are many, many, many Israelites who are carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. And it is that same Assyrian army that continued their march of conquest into Judah then, you know, during the time frame of King Hezekiah. While King Hezekiah was reigning over Judah in Jerusalem, that's when these Assyrians come from the north after destroying, defeating Israel. Okay, their aim is now Judah. Now, Hezekiah was a good king. We're told in 2 Kings chapter 18, he was one who did right in the sight of the Lord, unlike you know, a lot of the other kings before him that did not. He was one who trusted in God, and he was one who kept his commandments. But in spite of that, in spite of the fact that as good as Hezekiah was, the Assyrians still came in and became this severe threat to their land and to their existence. We're told that the Assyrians defeated all of the fortified cities in Judah. So all those outlying fortified cities that are there to protect you know, the country, they, they defeated them, and then they turned their aim and their object on Jerusalem. So they begin, that's their goal, to take Jerusalem and defeat Judah completely. So a lot of praying then began to be offered up, and we are told in 2 Kings that Jehovah heard Hezekiah's prayer about King Sennacherib and his army, and what he does, he sends an angel. He sent an angel to be the means of salvation. So in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 32, verse 32, it reads, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, so here is, you know, God speaking, and the message is being sent to Hezekiah. And he, so he says, the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to the city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. Now remember, all the fortified cities have already been taken in Judah. And God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, I'm still here. I still control things. He says, they are not gonna touch you in Jerusalem at all. Verse 33, by the way that he came, by the same way he will return, and he shall not come to the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Verse 35, and then it happened that that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. Just think about that. One angel sent by God struck 185,000 soldiers in one night. That's a lot of dead bodies. Now, I don't know what the population now of Murfreesboro is. It's growing, and so it's hard to keep up with those numbers. But 185,000 is more than a lot of towns in the USA. In one place, 185,000. That's power. That's power. But you know what? 
Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than even that one angel had that kind of power because Jesus has the authority over legions of angels, not just one, not just one angel who can, who can strike down 185,000 you know, soldiers in one night. Jesus has authority over legions of angels. If you recall in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus is being arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, remember Peter reacts in defense for his Lord, grabs a sword and cuts off a man's ear. And Jesus tells Peter, you know, basically stop that, put that sword away. And then he asks Peter, after telling him to put the sword away, he says, you know, you take up the sword, you perish by the sword, verse you know, 52. And then he says, ask this question, verse 53, to Peter. Do you think, don't you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, there is some question exactly how, how, how many troops are in a, a, a legion, a Roman you know, first century legion or whatever. And you might find different numbers ranging from 3,000 to 6,000, depending you know, what kind of resource you're using. But it, you know, you know, if, it's, if one legion is 3,000 you know, times 12, that's 36,000. If it's 6,000 times 12, that's 72,000. He says, in a moment, I can have 12 legions right now if I wanted that to happen. And the point he's trying to make basically here is this, I believe, is if, if I wanted to stop this event from happening, if I wanted to stop this mob from taking me in the middle of the night in, a, in an unjust manner and arresting me for crimes I did not commit, if I wanted to stop this, I could with no difficulty. Jesus is better than one angel because Jesus has authority over all angels. Legions upon legions of angels. In 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Jesus who is described in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as the one who judges the living and the dead. There is not a single soul that will not be judged by the Son of God throughout time, from the beginning of time till its end. He says, Jesus Christ is the judge of all the living and all the dead. And so that's why when you think about what, it, what we are told in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, as that judging is, to, is revealed to us in, there in verse 7, when it talks about when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testament to you was believed. He's the judge. And there are those who are going to receive the 
the, the terrible retribution of his power. And then there are those who are going to receive the glorification of that power. So Jesus is better than even that powerful angel that you read about in 2 Kings 19. But then finally also, Jesus is better than Gabriel. Now, Gabriel is introduced to us first as well in the book of Daniel. You know, God's revealing these visions to to Daniel. And Gabriel was sent to give Daniel understanding of what he's seeing and what he is being told. And for example, in Daniel chapter 9, in Daniel chapter 9, it reads there in verse 20, you know, 22, 20 through 23, you know, it says, let me get my page here. Now, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, that's Daniel speaking. And so so I, uh, he's, he's praying, he's confessing and presenting my supplication for the Lord, my God, in, in behalf of the holy mountain and my God. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision, previously came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering, and he gave me instructions and talked to me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. So at the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I came to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. So here's Gabriel this angel of God who is sent to Daniel to help him understand what he's being revealed. Gabriel is also probably better known as we read the account of the gospel in Luke chapter 1. Gabriel also was the one who was sent to foretell Zacharias, the high priest, about the birth of his son, John, who will become John the baptizer. And he is also the one who is sent to Mary to foretell her of the birth of her son, Jesus. You know, though she is a virgin, she will still have a child by the power of God. And so that's Gabriel who, who does that. And interestingly, in verse 19, as he's talking there to Zacharias, Gabriel identifies himself as saying, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Can you do that? Can you stand in the presence of God? I'm not sure we will. I think we'll bow. But that's just a thought. Here's Gabriel. One whose name means a strong man of God or strength of God who is standing in the presence of God and he is sent not only to Daniel, but he's sent to Zacharias and then he's sent to Mary to foretell of the birth of Jesus. He is a great angel. But Jesus is better than Gabriel because Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God's anointed. Just as Gabriel tells Mary, Jesus is great and Jesus will be great because he is the son of the most high, Luke chapter 1, verse 32. 
And it is his kingdom that he is king over, and he's a king over a kingdom that will never come to an end. And so he's a king over a never-ending kingdom. And so our adoption and our redemption, our citizenship, all of those blessings that we have are all through Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than any and all angels. Because Jesus' words are words of eternal life. That's what Peter confesses. He came to understand that, you know, with, without question. You know, where can we go, Lord? You have words of eternal life. It is also in that same book of the Gospel of John that Jesus himself says that, you know, if, if you reject me and my words, you have that which judges you. My word which I have spoken will judge you. Not only are the words of Jesus eternal life, but also the words of Jesus are judgment as well. Jesus is better. And because Jesus is better than the angels, he is greater than the angels. And that is why God has chosen in these last days to speak to us through the Son, through Jesus Christ, who is both Lord and Christ. And we are called to do what? We are called to heed and we are called to obey. Jesus is man's Savior not angels. Jesus is man's judge, not angels. Because Jesus is better. Will you call upon his name today? Do you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God? Do you believe that? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without believing in his Son, it's impossible to be saved. Do you want to be saved? You must believe. But that faith must move you to respond appropriately in submission to the will of the king, to the will of the savior, to the will of the judge. That you must be willing to confess with your mouth your faith before others that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God who died on Calvary's cross and that he was raised. Not only did he die, but he was raised up on the third day. And with that confession to repent of the sins, whatever they are, and, and how many they are, you need to repent of those. And come to him in obedience, be baptized into Jesus Christ, being immersed in water so that you may be raised up, cleansed, washed, forgiven by the power of Jesus Christ to walk new life. If you believe Jesus, but not respond, we want to urge you to do that today. If you are a Christian, and maybe there is some sin in your life that has separated you from your Father, from your Comforter, and from your Lord, and you need to make that right. You need to repent of your sins, return to him humbly and submissively, confessing those sins to him and praying to, to God for forgiveness, and he will forgive. But if we can assist you in so doing, we invite you, encourage you, please come now as you stand and sing the song that's been selected.